Well, I just, I was a little worried. You said you're angry to the point that you're at the same place you are when you're walking through airports. That concerned me. Well, it should. Uh, that was just a one day deal. I think it has to do with acute, um, just acute stress probably. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think part of the challenge long-term is how do you channel that, those emotions, um, into, I don't want to say a positive energy cause it's just kind of, you know, uh, I don't know what, but you know, I, th- I think, I think, um, the guys I used to talk to in the military would talk about the, the guys who are really very, very good at what they did, not because they were good with the rifle, but because they were able to channel fear into something that was more productive for them. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, totally. But I think we're afraid. I mean, fear is difficult to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I think it's fatiguing mentally and physically. Um, and so the challenge, I think one of the challenges is going to be how, how do we channel that fear um, so it doesn't become consuming? Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. Todd Conklin, how are you today? So let's um, let's continue along the lines of a discussion we've been having, at least for a while, about COVID-19, the crisis globally that's impacted us, and the notion of restoration and bouncing forward. But let's tap into more discussion with Dr. Frankfurt. Alan Frankfurt, um, Dallas-based anesthesiologist, uh, great friend of the podcast, long-term friend. Um, if you don't know him, he's someone you should know. He's just a he's a he's a leading thinker. He's just out there thinking about how to make his world more resilient, um, more highly reliable, and his conversations are always gigantic hits on the pod. So it's a pleasure to have him on. It's, it's so funny because he's so humble and such a sweet man that he's so kind and often says, I don't know what to say. He has plenty to say. I mean, we've already started this podcast with plenty to say, but what he talks about, I think is so interesting and ultimately so optimistic this podcast, I think, is valuable for us to chew on. Listen to this one carefully because there's so much here, and it goes in such a remarkable direction for so many reasons. That's I couldn't be more ambiguous in my introduction, but I'm trying not to say stuff. Can you tell? I'm trying to be really, like, super cool and leave the ending to the ending. Just... Listen to it, and don't be afraid to pass this around if you need to. I found this, for me personally, this was what I needed because it was realistic, it was based, it was apolitical, it was based in just just one man's experience who does this for a living. And he says something interesting. He says, and I think this is, this is worth saying, um, how different COVID-19 has made their job. Because in the old days he always survived the surgery and now that's actually in question 
And that reintroduction of high risk is really a big part of what Alan talks about. I can't even tell you what a pleasure it is to have Alan on board and to have this discussion. But what I'm most excited about is for you to listen to it. So I hope you're good and everything's great. Um, things are good here. It's, uh, it's really interesting, the transition, at least for, for us in the United States. It's, it's, uh, everything about this has just been either a dumpster fire or a case study. I can't tell which. For the rest of you that listen around the world, like you guys in New Zealand and Australia, your transition is probably going to feel and act a lot different than ours does. In Europe, I know it, it's different than ours just because they handle it differently at a sort of a governance level. The transition's uh, uh, yet another crisis on top of multiple crises, and I'm hearing locusts are coming. So pretty much we're screwed. I mean, at biblical proportions. I don't know what else needs to happen, but I'm sure it'll happen. If you see anybody parting any kind of sea, please text me. I would just be interested to know if that's happening. But let me take some time and and play this Allen podcast for you, this this conversation we had. On a, on a Memorial Day morning when Alan talks in great detail about what he's thinking. Because I think you're going to find what he's thinking remarkably interesting. Here is Dr. Alan Frankfurt on the Pre-Accident Podcast. What are you doing? You're in Dallas. Dallas is kind of a hot spot, at least according to the news. Yeah, I think this is going to sound really weird, but I think think I think I'll just say it I think I've accepted my own mortality I, I did that a long time ago in order to get rid of fear and it's not that I go you know riding motorcycles you know uh, you know crotch rockets down the tollway you know at 120 but um, honestly and 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 I think as we talk, I don't – I mean we've been friends for a while. I, I'm not blowing smoke at you at all, but I think a lot of channeling that fear is becoming proactive in creating systems and defenses. We're getting into now your thing, but systems and defenses that allow me on a daily basis to know – that I've created an environment for me and the people I work with that is as safe as it could be while continuing to look for weak signals and learn. Does that make sense? Absolutely. How, how do you, how are you doing that? I mean, that's, that seems like that's well, the so, secret weapon. So I, um, I don't, I don't know how much time you have, but I, I really follow your podcast closely and there's a couple of guys who have absolutely knocked my socks off you know I, I love it when you spend a Saturday just kind of throwing your stuff out there and and kind of giving the world according to Todd Conklin the other guy Steve Scott blows my mind uh, Dr. Woods blows my mind um, Jim Barker was amazing and I listen to those people over and over again in addition to what I've learned from you and we've now been friends since 2008 when we both at the esteemed institution, the Joint Commission. That's right. Um, we were just babies. We were small babies back then. 
Well, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. But after I heard you talk, I learned what I didn't know. And that became the journey. And um, and so honestly, when I started, it was really pre-COVID. But um, you, know, you, you talk about a, a, a formula that was risk was probability times consequence. Right, the old school, old and, school formula. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of took that and expanded on it in terms of how I interface with the people that I work with, as well as the hospital. Um, and I think it's important to differentiate the hospital as kind of the big institution, what I refer to as the Leviathan. <laughs> and then the people I work with who are more uh, like shapeshifters. I, you know, there's that story of Proteus, the shapeshifter, the old man in the sea. Right. Um, uh, and in order to defeat Proteus, who is a shapeshifter, the king of Sparta and his soldiers, in order to get back home, had to defeat Proteus. And in order to do that, as he changed shape, they had to change shape. And I thought that was a wonderful metaphor for for agility, um, learning. Um, and so I think on the hospital worker side, we're more on the Proteus side, on the hosp- I'm sorry, on the worker side, on the hospital side, it's more like big institutions, slow to change, definitely not shape shifting, but they each have a critical role in how we move forward. Um, but I took to, I took that that formula of yours risk was probability times consequence. And I changed it a little bit for me. And I said risk in the numerator was the ability to predict accurately times the fragility of the system times the consequence. And in the denominator, I kept I put capacity and culture. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's way better. It's a million well, times better. Well, so I think in order for us to really for me to get a handle on what probability meant, I had to get. I had to understand how to predict accurately or or an attempt to predict accurately, which was really, I think, for me, getting a mental map that reflected reality. But equally important was looking for weak signals that told me, hey, Alan, you're drifting from reality. You you need to get back on track because once once you kind of drift off of reality – and you start believing, as my dad said, you're never in trouble till you start believing your own BS, right? Right, exactly. So, so um, a, a guy who wrote a book called Deep Survival, Luis Gonzalez, talked about this drift where you start believing, believing your own uh, press, believing what you believing what you want to believe. He called it incestuous amplification. Uh, he talked about looking at a map. And instead of saying I'm lost, making the map fit your mental reality or your mental map. And and that was that scared me. Um, so I went to a, a book by a guy named John Boyd. I don't know if that rings a bill. The OODA loop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 42nd Boyd, uh, Air Force fighter pilot. Um, you know, Boyd talks about this orient, observe, decide and act. And I thought that fit well into coming up with a mental map that allowed me to predict accurately in real time. So we talked about orientation, which was just information gathering from whatever source, um, 
observing, which to me was you take that information that you that you gather and you make a prediction on what you think is happening. And then a decision to me was coming up with options of, of how I could intervene or act and then coming up with an action and then learning from that action real time by reevaluating the result and then going through that loop again. And even though Boyd talks about it not being a loop, it was a nice way to continually learn real time. You know, what do I need to be looking at? What do I think is going on? What options do I have? Let's do something, see what happens and and then kind of learn from it, discuss it, put context to it and then go through the loop again. And I think we do that subconsciously anyway. Uh, at least in the operating room, as, as things are getting a little upside down. And, of course, the mental map, I think, went, aligned nicely with that whole concept of sticky, you know, that stuff that kills you. Yeah. The thing that I I still wrestle with with sticky is I think there are, for me, there are known stickies and unknown stickies. And the unknown stickies are the ones that worry me along with what I think is a sticky but is really eye candy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it's kind of trying to stay sensitive to, okay, what's going to kill me or the patient? And that's certainly a new thing in the COVID world because, you know, pre-COVID, I always survived the operation. The patient may not, but I did. Now I go into an operation and the patient may survive and do well, but I may now acquire a lethal disease for me as a old dude who gets sick and ends up on a ventilator. So I think trying to figure out what's eye candy, what's going to take up a lot of um, energy in terms of figuring out or, or gathering information, and then what really is the threat and what are there some threats out there I'm I'm missing because I know that there are and how do I how do I learn to pick up on those? Um, but that was really some of the thoughts on 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 figuring out how to predict accurately and some of the um, gaps or 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 concerns I have about you know what is really going on uh, because. My ability to predict is going to drive my my response. Uh, I think Dr. Woods did a phenomenal job on fr fragility and, and system fragility and and how systems work at the boundaries. And that certainly is applicable for me in the operating room because uh, his talk reminded me of, of when I used to line up dominoes. And if you line them up real close and you tapped one, they all went down. And to me, that was what I thought about when I heard him talk about fragility. And so part of my goal in medicine or part of my goal on my team um, is, is what do I need to put in place to space those dominoes out? So if one goes over, it doesn't have a system wide effect. And of course, I think you get into that a lot with capacity and then consequence. You know, um, uh, there's all kind of consequences for what's going on with COVID. There's health consequences. There's going to be legal consequences sooner or later. Um, and that drives, you know, financial consequences, not just from the legal point of view, but as systems that didn't invest in capacity up front may cost them a lot more down the road. As I think you've talked about 
political consequence. You know, we live this through Ebola and the reputation institutions can get, whether deserved or undeserved. Um, so in that numerator, numerator of risk, I put ability to predict the fragility of the system and the consequence. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it's, 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 we often talk about making probability zero, which is really nice to say it's clean. It's a good argument. The question I have is how do you, how do you sustain that over a long term? Well, I, I think that's, um, so on the denominator, I have capacity and I think you've done a great job talking about that. And it's basically, we've put, as you said, defenses in place, the hospital has defenses that they, they give us. It's PPE, you know, uh, um, uh, that we get from the government, their supply chains. The hospital's pretty much done a wonderful job making sure we have that type of PPE available for us to use. But I think the other defense in place has to be on the shoulders of healthcare workers in small teams. And, um, I think one of your uh, speakers, um, gosh, uh, who was the gentleman that talked about um, what what teams want to hear? Um, uh, Jim, was it Jim Barker? Yeah, probably. That he, yeah, and, tell them yeah. tell them what you tell them what you know, which is what they want to hear. I think is what he said. Yeah, I think he talked about reaching out to colleagues, and so I read an article. And this young lady at the University of Washington had a great idea uh, on how to protect anesthesiologists from putting the breathing tube and the in and the breathing tube out. Putting the breathing tube in is is fairly undramatic. You're not going to create a COVID cloud in a COVID patient. Taking the breathing tube out is a whole different game. It's taking the breathing tube out where I'm going to contaminate myself or a colleague in the room. Um, so she wrote a pretty good article. Uh, she wrote a very good article, actually. I had a couple of questions about it, and I picked up the phone, and she was kind enough to answer. And so we've had – I've had that conversation with her and, and a couple of other colleagues, which I didn't even know pre-COVID, but had just written up. Uh, some articles and we're kind enough to answer the phone and, and began a dialogue and we send each other pictures of how we've modified different approaches um, kind of asking for for feedback and so that's been very good it's it's I've gone to Home Depot and I've gotten uh, 55 gallon garbage bags I've um, used equipment in the OR which was not intended for COVID per se but we sat around and said, how can we solve this problem? And the nurse said, you know what? We've got this great suction machine that's used to suction viral aerosols in a different kind of surgery. There's no reason we couldn't do it um, for a COVID patient. So there's that kind of um, uh, interaction going on. Um, so I think that's part of the responsibility of, of – uh, of what people want to hear, as Jim Barker says, somebody needs to step up and understand that people are scared. They have families at home. Um, they don't really, I'm not going to say they don't want to be there, but, you know, they're dedicated to their profession, but they're still afraid. And I think you have to embrace the fear and say it's normal, 
but how do we push through the fear? And part of it is sending the message that I'm not going to put you in a position um, that I wouldn't put myself in, and I'm not going to put you in a position that I feel um, is unfair or unethical to you. And by that, I mean, I'm not going to uh, because I'm the doctor and you're the nurse, I'm not going to ask you to go in and do something because I can't. I think it's all about leading from the front. And they that builds uh, what Mr. Barker was talking about is confidence, consistency, um, and what you talk about, which is psychological safety. Does that make sense? Yeah. What are you learning? I mean, what what's just blown you away? What's that adaptive stuff you're doing is really remarkable to us. But what are you learning? Um, I think I've had to come to grips again with, um, with, uh, fear. Uh, you know, I'm 67. I am working part-time. I'm slowing down a little bit. I don't think I'll ever get out of it completely. And, you know, I've got plans for me and my wife and my grandkids, and I'm in a situation where, um, I have some internal conversations with myself about um, uh, getting up, putting my clothes on, doing what I'm trained to do, um, doing it smart. And I'm learning. I tell you what, what's interesting, Todd, and I don't, I'm not trying to, to avoid your question, but it's a great question. What I find myself is on that you've told me years ago about the Rasmussen model. Yes. And for the last, you know, I've been doing anesthesia for 35 years. For the last 20 years, 25 years, I've been down there on the skill-based portion of the curve. And what I've learned is I'm now back at the knowledge portion. And that's been an interesting journey. I'm, I'm having to slow down. I'm having to pay a lot more attention to what's going on in the room and what I'm doing because my familiarity of working in this environment is so new. It's kind of weird. I've made this kind of circle from spending years and years and years getting to a skill-based uh, level of that model and find myself now at 67 back where I started on the knowledge based uh, to some degree. Um, I think I'm, I'm learning that we're living in a in a medical VUCA. Um, I think what uh, this has afforded me is an opportunity to uh, actually implement some of the things that you guys talk about on your uh, podcast. Uh, I think the rubber meets the road where theory becomes action and how to take what I've learned from uh, listening to the podcast and coming up with a plan that is both effective and relevant. And that's a moving target. I think what I've learned is, uh, as Steve, Steve Scott and you said, is to start asking different questions so that I get different answers um, that um, we have rapidly, I need to rapidly move from, from prevention to response. 
because um, to make a, an error while dealing with a COVID patient is not a benign thing. Will we get through this? Yes, absolutely. What will that look like? I have no idea. And see, that's that's part of the intrigue. And I'm, I'm sitting here with a smile on my face because – you know, this is a constant question on your podcast. It's a constant qu- question that I get from my siblings who, who, who are afraid. But I will tell you without a doubt, we will get through this. I think, and, and I don't want to get into politics, but I think this is a time in our collective history that requires um, that requires somebody on a national level. And I think Fauci has kind of done that. I think he's, he's, he's had that role that fits what Jim Barker talks about. And it's certainly something I've translated, I think, or I've tried to translate to, to my, my, uh, my working group, which is how do we make sense of what's going on? Sense making. I think, uh, Carl Wyke, is that correct, who talked about sense-making? Exactly correct. Years and years ago. I mean, make sense for people. Tell them – I mean, it's what Jim Barker said. I mean, you know, I I can't tell you, you know, all good news. I'm telling you there's going to be more people that die. There's going to be more people that get ill. Uh, There's a lot of work to be done. I can tell you a year from now we'll have a better way of treating it. Maybe 18 months from now, maybe we'll have an effective vaccine. But I think the lack of predictability is really a way of saying a lack of control. And once we lose control as humans, it's a frightening thing. That's honestly what I like the most about jumping out of airplanes. (laughs) (laughs) It's the ultimate loss of control. And it's the ultimate sense of commitment. But regardless of whether that's nuts or not, it it made me come to grips with those feelings. And um, we've we've got some smart people, some very smart people in science. There's amazing studies going on. Um, um, I think we can feel confident that a year from now we're going to. We're going to be able to really effectively treat people when they do get sick. Um, and uh, and some of our political leadership hopefully will provide that sense of consistency, ecological safety that I think is part of their responsibility. I'm, I'm, I really am confident. We've, we've gotten through this stuff before, and I think, once again, without getting too much into the military side of things, um, and it is Memorial Day, is it reminds me of the kids that I talked to who every day would wake up in the morning in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever, and they, they'd put their, their kit on, their equipment on, and they'd go outside the wire. And they had to deal, I think, with a lot of the same feelings and emotions that we as an American people and people of the world are dealing with. So it's certainly made me more empathetic with and sympathetic with some of those feelings on a, on a Memorial Day. But at the end of the day, they they believed in each other. They had good leadership. 
and they knew this was something that um, they didn't really have a choice about. And so they channeled their fear into something that was more constructive. And, uh, and maybe that's, that's the challenge is, is how do we channel fear? So what do you think? So about a million takeaways. I don't even know where to start. I mean, the the notion that we're in this, and eventually it'll we'll have a better medical therapeutic understanding in a year is encouraging, while simultaneously sad. But the idea of of being pushed back to Rasmussen sort of knowledge base is uh, really an interesting way to see that. And if you don't know what that means, ask somebody, I mean, or call, I'll tell you, I mean, it's not a secret or, or look up Rasmussen, but that was a, from our point of view, that was a pretty powerful truth that we heard spoken aloud in front of us in our ears in the podcast. Alan Frankfurt, you are the best. Thank you for being a part of this and just telling us what you're thinking. It's uh, it's really important to us. It's also optimistic and gives me hope for the future. And it makes me think about things, and that is why I like the podcast. That's why I kind of like all the podcasts I like, but I really like it when I'm thinking on this one. That's that's Something's going on there. So until then... Um, learn something new every single day. You did today without question. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That seems really important right now. And for goodness sakes, be safe.